Hey everybody and welcome to episode 64 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Here we go. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. So guys, welcome to episode 64. And... um, as always, hope you're doing well. Hope you're enjoying the the springtime. Uh, weather over here has been it's been pretty good recently. It's been uh, really nice. It's nice to get into spring, and it's obviously really phenomenal for those of us that are keen on our health. You know, if days just feel like so much better when the sun's out, and um, yeah, so just a uh, little catching up and stuff. You know, as as always, the the the, the, the uh, free mini course is still going strong for anyone with um, chronic health conditions. Uh, I want to head over to www.reviveyourself.co. We've got our free four-day mini course there, which has been uh, yeah, f- fantastic for a lot of people. Getting lots of people through that, a lot of good work getting done by a lot of a lot of good people there. Uh, and as always, guys, as I said, if you're actually dealing with a chronic health issue and you need um, some one-to-one help, uh, a deeper issue, with a deeper issue, then you can always contact me on there or send me an email at Ryan at reviveyourself.co and I'll get back to you as soon as possible there's been lots going on um, I actually wanted to have an interview with Terry Tiddar today all about um, common law um, and um, and about what happens if you sign a birth certificate etc but our recording wasn't great so I want to get him back on and do it again because I don't want to put out a poor recording for you I want you to be actually hear what's going on so instead what I've done is I've bumped up our interview with Dr. Sean Baker um, to today now this is going to be really eye opening for for you guys um, I had Phil Escott on here already who is a big p- proponent of the carnivore diet now dr sean baker has been uh, eating this way as well just all meat diet for two years now he's a former um he's a former orthopedic surgeon he was top of his class i mean in fact in fact he'll go into the story that he, he was actually their poster boy for a long while until we started to try and um, move some lifestyle changes in and the hospital didn't like that but for someone who's been in the medical industry who was a vegan before and then he turned to a all carnivore diet results he's had uh, and he's been having with people have been phenomenal and as i always say guys on on our show we have no dogma here we're all about finding what works for people not just doing stuff based out of a fear-based dogma so um if you're vegan then keep an open mind and listen to him um if you're somewhere in between who hasn't tried this then give it give it a listen but it's really interesting guys because you know we are all different we're as different on the inside as we are on the outside and what works for one person might not necessarily work for everyone else there is no one right way but it's it's a really fascinating show he's a he's a really great guy and actually also i stopped the recording and then me and sean started to have a little chat between ourselves so um i actually clicked the recording again and i got a couple of little gems that i'm going to stick in uh, at the end for you um so we're going to come off the show I'm going to say goodbye and then if you stay around a little, a little bonus feature is going to be in there for you guys okay so without further ado here's Sean enjoy the show and I'll see you on the other side so Sean how are you doing today mate? 
Hey, I'm doing wonderful. It's a beautiful uh, sunny day here in Southern California. I'm ready to start. I had a nice steak to start the day, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, you've literally been taking the internet by storm. I say definitely Instagram um, through your your carnivorous diet. Um, and also, I did actually, I think, do you know Phil Escott? Who's that? Phil Phil Escott. Do you know Phil Escott? Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm aware of Phil. Yeah, he's yeah. a he's a member of a couple of Facebook groups that I have, and I've, I've talked to him kind of online a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. So Phil. So basically, I mean, I first heard you speak on uh, my 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 pine um, podcast, and I was like, whoa, I need to get this is this is interesting. And then actually, I was put in touch with uh, Phil through someone one of my one of our sort of um, mutual friends, and he was talking about things. Um, I talk about me. I actually got him on the show as well, and he had a great, great talk about things. But this all, all meat diet, um, you know, especially with the way that the world's going right now, with so much, uh, well, veganism and being, being vegan, being such a, well, it's just all over the media, really. Everyone's going vegan. I think it, to, to actually go the other way, just to go, you know what? I don't agree with that. Oh, that's not that's not work for me. Yeah, and just go into carnivore uh, carnivore diet is, is quite a. It's quite a bold move. So why did, I mean, for people out there, just, just look to get the backstory, why, or how did you even get into this? I mean, you, you played around with, with keto first, didn't you? And you, you sort of fell into this. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, and I was just kind of watching, you know, my health get a little less good when I was in my 40s, and I started playing with different diets, and I kind of experimented with most, most diets. I, I had a very plant-heavy, almost... You know, I would call it a vegetarian diet with a little bit of, you know, lean meat like fish in there, a little bit of chicken, avoiding red meat. And then I just kind of, you know, I just didn't feel that well. And so I just I, I experimented, went to paleo, and then I went to low carb, and then I went to keto. And then finally I started reading about the people that had been doing this, you know, recently, a, a carnivorous diet, and then also uh, some of the historical stuff. And I said, well, let's try it for 30 days. It's not going to hurt for 30 days. And I had such a, a good experience with that. And, uh, you know, the, one of the things that, uh, you know, as a physician – uh, some of the things that I thought were basically age-related, you know, just normal age-related things uh, went away, which I thought was pretty pretty interesting. And uh, so, but I thought, well, 30 days is good. I'll, I'll go back to what I was doing before, and I did, and, and I immediately felt worse. And so I said, well, I'd rather feel good than feel worse, and uh, I'm a very competitive uh, athlete, and I was noticing, uh, you know, that it had been helping my athletic performance. So I, went, I switched back to it. Uh, and, you know, the whole time I've stayed, you know, my health has continued to get better and better as every every month goes by. I see something sort of uh, improvement and I continue to, to improve athletically. And that's something that, you know, as you get into your, you know, up into the years, it's hard to do, you know, particularly when you get, you know, in your 40s and 50s. And uh, so I continue to notice improvements in strength, body composition, endurance, recovery, uh, you know, the health benefits, which, you know, are many. Uh, and so I continued doing that. And then I, you know, I started seeing a lot of people that kind of joined me in this. And, you know, interestingly, a, a large percentage of them, if not the vast majority of people are seeing the similar results. And so I think, um, you know, there's, there's, unfortunately, the nutrition science is really, it's just, it's not very good science. Not that there's not, there's not good people doing it. It's just that it's really hard to answer the questions. And, uh, you know, all the, all the data out there that says, well, meat is bad for you, it's, it's really hopelessly confounded with the fact that, you know, someone who eats a lot of meat typically will eat a lot of donuts and french fries and Cokes and they don't exercise and they don't, uh, uh, they don't uh, really care much about their health. And so you have this huge, what we call a healthy user bias. And when you eliminate that, 
what I've done and what you know now thousands upon thousands of other people have done, they've seen that, you know, if you just focus on just, you know, meat in the diet, you get healthy. And so it's, it's most likely what we've all been saying is it's the, you know, the uh, refined flours, the sugars, the, the, the processed vegetable oils that are, you know, often eaten with meat, which are probably the problem. It's not the meat itself. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, being someone that deals with a lot of people with chronic health conditions, I mean, doing it for a long time, that's that's the what I always try to think is that, look, I, I have people on the show all the time, so I've, I've had Terry Tiddard on here, he says he's a staunch vegan, very much against meat, and looks, quotes all these studies, um, and um, when I tell people I'm going to get yourself on the show and feel that, like, why, why are you doing that? I was like, well, because I need to just explore all the options. I, I have no dogmatic views. I want to do what works, and what works for someone might not work for someone else, and that's fine. But the key feature, I mean, you can be vegan and be extremely unhealthy. You can be a carnivore and be extremely unhealthy, you know. But the key feature about the, the main the main things that these people that live a healthy, holistic lifestyle that are doing generally is, as you say, they all do, uh, they all cut out refined sugar. They all cut out, generally, a lot of people cut out caffeine and soy. And then they cut out uh, pasteurized homogenized dairy. Uh, and, and then they, 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 they cut out wheat and gluten. Uh, and, you know, I always say to people, these are the big players. Because um, when you do that, I mean, generally, people that go on a vegan diet to start with anyway, they've been eating terribly. So they go on a vegan diet. They cut out um, all their... They go they go vegan because they, they're generally trying to get a health kit because they probably may have been a bit ill or something. And they, they cut out all these things and they start eating more fruits and vegetables, got far more fibre. And all of a sudden, for 30 days... I mean, short term, I found myself... It was phenomenal for me, short term. Got past three months... Not so great. No, it's like a lot of clients. I do have a lot of sick vegans and a lot of sick vegetarians. But that's the main area. I always try to say to people, no matter where you're going with these people, generally there's a big section where they lay in the middle and it's drinking more water and getting rid of all these refined, processed, toxic foods or inflammatory foods, highly inflammatory foods, and people seem to perform better. Now, you mentioned there quickly that you, you're an athlete. And I noticed the other day you were on uh, Owen Franks' podcast or Ben Franks. Which one was it, Owen's? Yeah, we had Owen on our podcast. Yeah, you had Owen yeah. on your podcast, cool, because um, I actually played out in Canterbury myself um, with one of them. Uh, played actually with the Crusaders back in the day. I was, I was 23 at the time, uh, almost 10 years ago. Um, so played rugby at high level. Like yourself, you used to play rugby, right? Yeah, I played in the Waikato in New Zealand. Oh, did you? Awesome. Yeah, also you probably yeah. have some mutual friends then out there. But um, so, when, so how old was you when you played out there? Oh, it was it was when I was in my twenties, man. That was twenty five years ago, twenty six seven years ago. So, I'm, you know, that was a that was a long time ago. There's guys like, uh, you know, there's some of the All Blacks in the competition I played with guys like uh, Richard Lowe and Warren Gatlin and uh, Graham Purvis. Yeah, he was on. Yeah, he's a he's a coach. He's a case coach of Wales now, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, yeah, right? well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, was and, and yeah, the Lions. He, he, yeah, he played for, I can't remember one of the teams, it was either Fraser Tech or Hamlin Old Boys, I can't remember which team he was on, but, you know, he was, you know, we would play in the club, you know, in a, in a club league, and, you know, we'd run against those guys every once in a while, so. Yeah, yeah, people, that was, yeah, that's no, what I was going to say, people don't understand, it's really, it's a bit like our cricket system over here, like, over there you have, you have your clubs that are, like, not professional, and then you have your franchises, or, like, your super clubs, well, they have their provinces, and they have their super clubs, and then they have the, the All Blacks, it's a bit like our cricket system over here, I mean, different to America, where it's generally just pro sport right they have over there it's, that's why it's the grassroots over there and stuff and so you get to meet and play with a lot of top top players as well right yeah that's right i think and back then i don't think they they really were just provincial they didn't really have the super teams at, at that point that Sorry, was, yeah you know, of course yeah for that but yeah sure yeah so when you were out there 27 26 27 um playing out there how was your eating um 
You know, I well, I ate a lot of lamb and kumara. You know, yeah. in New Zealand, that's a big dish out there. But it was, you know, I I would I would say most people would consider relatively healthy. I mean, I, I ate, you know, um, you know, uh, low fat dairy. I ate a lot of, uh, yeah, I ate meat and vegetables and uh, whole grains and cereals and fruits and vegetables. And I had, you know, I had a little bit of junk food, but not too much. I mean, I was pretty conscious about it. So, I mean, I I you know I always ate as an athlete. You know, you try to get get, them, get as much. Uh, yeah nutrition is or at least what you believe was nutrition is possible so i've always eaten you know better than i, I just didn't have a junk food diet like like many people do yeah. it was it was it was certainly better than i'd say 90 percent of the people out there cool so just trying to work out so when you were i mean you're 27 you're playing rugby obviously you're gonna you're gonna try and eat well because i mean rugby is a tough game to play right you're up and down the field making big tackles you've got a lot of collisions a lot of information to deal with afterwards how would you compare yourself now um, to then in terms of how you feel, how you recover, because now you're on an all-meat diet, right? I'm, I'm, most people will be, I mean, people out there that don't know, Sean broke the 500-meter world record rowing uh, for 50-year-olds. I think it's for over 50s, correct? Yeah, yeah, for 50-year-olds, yeah. So, one, one, 114.6, I think was the um, time, yeah. Well, and so people always talk about how important carbohydrates are, especially for, for sports that require um, glucose, etc. So how would you feel compare now compared to when you're competing in rugby like your performance and your recovery well i think my recovery is is you know pretty good excellent i mean it's hard to say you know to, to really go back 25 years but i know certainly compared to even 10 years ago it's far far superior and i, I know that from a strength standpoint i'm not too far off where i was in my 20s and early 30s and you know i'm very close right now which is an improvement from where i was in my you know, my early to mid 40s, you know, so I've, I've, I've kind of gone back 10, 15 years as far as athletic health. I mean, I don't really have any joint pain anymore, which is something that I was starting to get, you know, as I got in my 40s, you know, I'd have some knee pain, a little bit of shoulder pain, a little bit of biceps pain. And that's all gone, which is, I think, remarkable, allows me to, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not taking the collisions like I was in rugby, but I'm training extremely hard. I mean, I, I, I go uh, very hard, very high intense stuff and the conditioning stuff. And I lift very heavy still. And I can do that day in and day out without really much trouble at all. I mean, I rarely, I really have to take a day off to recover. Sometimes I will just because schedule, you know, sometimes a scheduling issue will, will cause me to take a day off and, you know, or, or something like that. But my, my recovery capacity is the best it's been in my life, quite honestly. You know, and I think a lot of people that do this tend to say the same thing, but, uh, you know, I, I can I can still get up and dunk basketballs. I can still you know jump really well. I can still sprint hard, and so I don't know that I would want to get out on a rugby field at that level. <laughs> no, 50, I, yeah, yeah. It, but, but, yeah. I was just going to say fun. because I know you, I know you, I know you. You're still you're still lifting, right? So you're still getting information, etc. And you're still dealing with lots of physical activity. And obviously, running into big, big, um, yeah, uh, Pacific Islanders is a bit different. But uh, in terms of the way you perform. Yeah, I'm glad you said. I, that's one of the things I noticed that running in the Pacific Islanders was the worst people to collide into. I think they have, I think they have an extra layer of bone or something like that. I'd, I'd rather hit somebody from Russia or somebody else than, than a Pacific Islander. Those guys were definitely thick. Yeah, it's like hitting granite. I hit a couple of times. I used to play number ten, so they used to go after me like fun. And uh, yeah, it wasn't fun a lot of the time, but well, it was fun, but not not when they were coming down your channel. In fact, I lived. One of my, my roommates was a. He actually plays for Ulster now. Um, Rodney Ayu. He's um, Hundred, I mean, he was 120 kgs at like 19 years old, and the guy is just phenomenal. Uh, things that he could do on, on the pitch, move people. But so, so basically, what I'm just 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 trying to get out for people out there, really, um, Sean is. I mean, you feel good on this diet, and because 
you're a former heart surgeon, right? So this is big, big news for people who are former surgeon. Uh, and yeah, I did. I, I was an orthopedic surgeon. So I would replace knees and hips and shoulders and, and, and you know, fixed trauma, broken bones and, and that sort of stuff. Cool. Perfect. So the people out there, I mean, you've, you've, you've been through the medical industry. So people out there, first would they be saying, surely eating all meat is going to be bad for your health in terms of longevity, right? Surely, I mean, we all hear about red meats, carcinogenic, which, I mean, the studies there, like the science called tobacco science, really. Um, and then, um, obviously, just longevity, like, surely eating meat is not good for your digestion. A um, lot, lot of people, well, generally, I always talk about the quality of meat, but how, how, I mean, being a doctor, I mean, surely this flies in the face with a lot of stuff you learn medically or even through, through, through going through the school, etc. I mean, how different is it? Yeah, I mean, it's completely opposite of what, we, what we've been taught, what we've been told. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, unfortunately, like I said earlier, the, the, the evidence that, that points to that is really based on some shaky assumptions and some really shaky nutritional epidemiology where they, again, they, most of the data is what we call associational data, where they'll just say, here's a whole bunch of people that eat a little more meat than the other people and they don't do as well. And again, when you clump those people together, you're not looking at people like me that are that care about their health, that are exercising, that aren't eating, you know, all the other junk food that typically goes with that. So that's the biggest problem there is there. And, you know, the thing that we're seeing, you know, objectively is, you know, people going on all meat diets, you know, all these things that are bad that we know tend to be bad for us, you know, based on other associations like high blood pressure, you know, excessive body fat, high that's levels true. of infl inflammation, uh, you know, things like uh, uh, insulin resistance, all of those things improve significantly. Uh, when people go on a carnivorous diet. Now, the cholesterol thing is kind of interesting because sometimes the cholesterol tends to be variable. Some people are cholesterol go up. Some people won't change. Like mine, it really didn't change much. My HDL went up a little bit. It was already pretty low, but it went up a little higher. So, you, so you've but, run tests now, yeah? You've, you've tested yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did a bunch of tests, and I went over that with a guy named Rob Wolf on the Paleo Solution podcast a while yeah. ago. So we went through a whole litany of labs. Some of them were controversial, but, I mean, the the you know the thing is, you know, we again, cholesterol is another one of those things. It's an associational marker that only really kind of shows a weak effect. You know, it's consistent, but it's weak. And there are so many better things to predict, you know, cardiovascular disease that, that uh, you can look at. Um, but, but Sean, just quickly with that, your body, I mean, the less cholesterol you eat, the more it makes. The more cholesterol you eat, the less it makes. No. Well, I mean that's that's a general truth. Yeah, I mean yeah. your liver is going to make about eighty percent of what yeah. has cholesterol. So if you don't if you don't eat very much, your, your liver will make enough for you to have. Yeah. Cholesterol is not there to hurt us. It's, it's, no, it has exactly, a function. Yeah. It has a, it has a number of functions in hormone synthesis. It has functions in structural repair. It has an immune function helping us fighting disease. So we need cholesterol in our body. And there's really no such thing as good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. It's all this. If you look at the cholesterol in HDL mm -hmm. and the cholesterol in LDL, it's the exact same stuff. It's just when and how it's trafficked. And there's a whole system. And a guy named Dave Feldman is, is, is showing pretty, pretty profoundly how cholesterol can change even 100 points, you know, using the U.S. numbers, in one day, or not one day, in one week. He's changed his cholesterol by 100 points in one week, which shows you how dynamic it is. And so the fact that we take one measurement once a year mm -hmm. and all of a sudden say, ah, now you need to go on a drug, to me is kind of insane. And we also know there's a lot of, again, associational studies, you know, again, with the limitations shown by associations, that people that have higher cholesterol tend to live longer. They tend to have less cancer. They tend to have less... Uh, neurodegenerative diseases like uh, Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease. So it's just, you know, there are there are reasons when cholesterol may contribute to the end effect of atherosclerosis, but there's a lot of other things that have to be in place 
systemic inflammation, uh, insulin dysregulation, and all those other things have to be lined up, I think, first before cholesterol becomes uh, really much of an issue. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, Ansel Keys' study that was was one that talked about fat and cholesterol. I mean, there's lots of books out there, there's loads of studies out there that debunk this for for years now, but it still gets thrown around. It, I mean, even though like it takes a long while to to filter down to the mainstream, but this gets thrown around, and people, I mean, I mean cholesterol. You said before LDL and HDL, they're just delivery systems like uh, high density lipoproteins, low density lipoproteins. They're not actually cholesterol, and people don't understand like cholesterol is a precursor for so many sex hormones that. Are, uh, crucial for us um, uh, and people talk about it. and the funny because vegans always talk about oh heart disease but well, the funny thing is I, th- I think I even mentioned I think I even heard you mention this before but one of the, one of the I think the um, vegans are, have got the highest rates of heart disease isn't this correct? Well I mean no it's 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 just that the number one killer of vegans is heart disease well, number and vegetarians. One I mean, number. so I mean if you're going to die of something no matter what you eat you're, you're most likely going to die of heart disease now if you don't have now if the vegetarians have a slightly lower rate of heart disease they have a higher rate of cancer and so the question becomes you're going to die at some point do you want to die of heart disease do you want to die of cancer not that we all get to make that choice mm-hmm. but it's it's you know it's absurd to suggest that their diet protects them from heart disease when clearly they get it too and, and they get it in, in high numbers and so uh you know there's a lot of, there's so many things when we look at longevity you know like the people like to point out different populations you know and I, they like to point out people like in okinawa or you know the seventh day adventists out in california and say, well, they live a longer time than they had a plant-heavy diet. Well, I can say, well, there's people like in Iceland that have a meat-heavy diet, and they live just as long or longer. Or the people in, in uh, Hong Kong, which eat more meat than almost anybody in the world, and they live the longest in the world. So the, the problem with those epidemiology studies when looking at longevity is you have – diet is not the biggest factor. You know, things like socioeconomic status, access to health care, cultural support systems, lifestyle, lack of smoking, those things have a far bigger impact on life expectancy than just saying, I ate a plant-based diet, I'm going to live longer. That's kind of BS. You know, it doesn't really matter what you eat. you got to do all those other things like we kind of talked about ahead of time. And then the diet has some impact, not a huge impact. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to... Um, I mean, one of the guys I was talking to the other day, they was talking about, oh, I'm going vegan now, etc. And I was like, okay, cool. I sometimes, I generally just ignore things. On, I need to get rid of my Facebook timeline. I ignore things, but people put stuff, and sometimes I'm just like, mm, I can't resist. And he was talking about, oh, everyone in the blue zones eats soy. Eats soy. I was like, well, you know, um, or this blue zone eats soy. I was like, well, that's not the soy you're eating. Have a read of the whole soy solution. Uh, trust me, it's not the soy you're eating. And secondly, there's a lot more going on in that blue zone than just eating soy, like the air quality. You know the sunshine they're getting, the movement they're getting daily. I mean, it, loads of things. And and as you said, the human body, different areas there. You know, some people eat. If you're Indians, they don't eat meat, for example. Or different parts of the world. And other parts, it's like the Inuits only eat um, lots of fat. And lots of different uh, tribes. The body has got an ability to adapt. I mean, I was talking to Paul Checker about this. I mean, citing studies that the the enteric system from mouth to anus. They the studies. I think it was. I can't remember the doctor we talked about before. I'm trying to think. Remember that name. Hopefully, will come to me. He did studies in this, and he looked at vegetarians versus meat meat based eaters, and he noticed that meat based eaters, um, their digestive tracts were far longer than vegetarians. Oh no, sorry, the other way around. It's far shorter than vegetarians. We actually started to our intake system actually started to, to grow depending on where you were in the world and what you were at. And so the body has got this great uh, ability to adapt. But I think it's more as you mentioned. The general gist of not eating all the the rubbish. What what did they have in common? They all stay away from all these things that I mean, people know how bad refined sugar is, right? And then you got everything else that we're putting in. Especially, I mean, it's not great over here. I know in America, 
your food. I mean, high fructose corn syrup, they're putting it in everything they can, you know. Uh, I mean, um, soy is in everything. It's a lot of it's GMO, etc. Uh, and it's not great. So people will be going to be wondering, Sean, what does your diet look like? Like, how much meat do you eat? Because, I mean, you're, so people can't, can't see you. If, if you do, go and, go and look at Sean. Uh, Sean's, you've got a couple of websites, haven't you, Sean? What's the, what's the best one for people to, to, have a, to go on? Well, I mean, you know, obviously my Instagram is, is pretty popular. Yeah, your Instagram's it's, the best one. Yeah, yeah, yeah Sean Baker, 1967, S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R, 1967. I started a website called MeatHeals.com, which oh, is pretty okay. pretty cool. It has a lot, this all these success stories of, you know, getting into the, you know, nearly hundreds of people that have just gone on a meat-based diet, and they've cured all kinds of, you know, medical problems like rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's disease and eczema and psoriasis and depression and anxiety and joint you know arthritis and you know, the list goes on and on it's almost everything you think of blood pressure problems uh diverticulitis all these things have gotten better well, diverticulitis is one that people will talk about eating too much meat it's a problem for it right i mean um who are, there's a couple of athletes that people have come out and even said like this is the reason they had it was because they're eating too much meat there's some there's lots of controversy around here but i think i've even heard you say like mds and phd just because they got them doesn't mean they know everything and a lot of these things are uh, once again the science isn't great because they're not looking to everything else they're doing right yeah i mean what i, I think probably the, the most popular athlete that, that supposedly had diverticulitis associated with uh, a high meat diet was a guy named Brock Lesnar, a UFC, yeah, UFC yeah. and a WW, uh, WWE. I can't remember what the wrestling for federation is now. But, yeah. you know, the problem with him was he was he was apparently taking a lot of painkillers at the same time because he's beating his body up. And so what happens with him when you take a lot of painkillers, particularly opiate painkillers, the gut motility really gets messed up and slows down. And that probably more than anything was was probably the, the cause of that, not the meat. And you think about it, when we, when we, we study plenty of people – you know, there's plenty of studies out there looking at people that have had their colon removed, and we can look at uh, ileostomies where, where they don't have a large intestine, they just have a small intestine, and they look at people when they digest meat. There's really nothing that comes out. It's just a little bit of liquid. There's no, there's nothing that would really mechanically cause, you know, diverticulitis. And so what we're often seeing is people eat a lot of seeds and indigestible materials, like a lot of the fiber uh, shows more diverticulin. In fact, there was a nice study done, I think, in 2014 by a guy named Dr. Peary. I think it's P-E-R-Y, uh, and he looked at like 1,500 people uh, with colonoscopies, and he found the people that had the most, the highest incidence of diverticula, which are the little pouches associated with diverticulitis, were people on the highest fiber diets. And so, you know, it's it, there's a lot of information that kind of goes against, again, the, 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 the associations with meat and diverticulitis are, again, these uh, epidemiologic studies. And again, if you're eating a lot of meat, most likely you're eating a lot of sugar and you're eating a lot of junk food and you're doing all these things that, that uh, you know, make people unhealthy. So it's, again, it's a, a kind of a false association in my view. Okay. But, but I mean, you were talking about, yeah, I mean, how much do I eat or what my daily routine is? Well, I was just to say to people, you're, you're a big guy, right? You're not the, I mean, I mean, I'm, I mean, you must be what, pushing six, five. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm six five, and I'm, I'm. I'd have to calculate how many stones I am right now. I'm probably seven, sixteen, seventeen, eight, eighteen. No, it was yeah, you're a big guy. So. Almost, almost eighteen stone, I guess, is what you guys. If, if that's what you guys like to use, I'm 100, yeah. 111, 112 kilograms. You know, 245, 250 pounds, something like that, depending on the day. But I typically, you know, I'll put it in kilograms. Uh, typically, about two kilo, kilograms a day of meat. You know, I usually have it half, half in the morning, half in the day, in the evening. To usually two meals a day. I, you know, and mostly it's just red meat and steaks, sometimes a little bit of hamburgers. I will, I will have a little bit of seafood from time to time, typically like 
shellfish shrimp, you know, something like that. I'll have a little bit of dairy from time to time. I find for me that dairy uh, tends to be uh, kind of problematic sometimes if I have anything more than just a small amount. So I tend to avoid uh, and limit dairy to, to infrequently in smaller amounts. You know, sometimes maybe a piece of cheese on a on a, on a, on a hamburger or something like that. But, but yeah, it's pretty much, you know, I haven't had fruits or vegetables and you know, it's getting close to two years now. And, uh, you know, I, I, honestly, my health is as good as it's been in, in, in a couple of decades, really. And I, and I, it's just remarkable. I get such good sleep, you know, my, uh, you know, I, I maintain a lean muscular physique without really trying that hard. I mean, I, I train really well, um, great energy, great, you know, great mood, great libido, great sexual function, great, uh, no joint pain. My digestion is perfect. I don't have any issues with my digestion. I have a bowel movement about once a day. No, no problems with that. So I know a lot of people are concerned about that stuff. But yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, you know, overall, uh, you know, I think working really well for me. It's, it's interesting. I talk about the digestion, but when, when you talk about, um, so you eat twice a day, right? Is that just down to appetite, or is that out of choice? Uh, it's mostly down to appetite, you know. I, and again, this is one of the things that I, I sort of maintain. I, you know, when I, I. You know, they're humans just you know smart animals i mean we're still animals and you know if you look at how any animal feeds itself it just eats when it's hungry and when it's not hungry it doesn't eat you know we're humans we're sitting there constantly entertaining ourselves you know talking and, and being distracted and just continuing eating we have a whole entire snack food industry that supports that and advertises to that but you know really i mean assuming you're eating the appropriate nutrition for your species you know your appetite should be pretty well regulated and so you know usually i'm hungry twice a day that's when i eat sometimes i only eat once a day sometimes i'll eat three or four times a day it just kind of depends where my appetite takes me and you know and, and sometimes you know obviously sometimes you're hungry and you don't have food right in front of you so you have to you have to kind of delay a little bit of that. but i don't do all this sort of intentional fasting stuff i just i don't eat very frequently so if you want to say you know going you know, long times between meals is a good thing, and I think it probably is for most people. I do that, but I don't sit there with a stopwatch and say, okay, I'm not going to eat for the next 16 hours, because if I get hungry 12 hours, and I'm only feeding myself one thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's like my body saying, there's only one thing you're getting. Why are you hungry? Well, I'm hungry because I need energy, and I need some, you know, some structural materials to build what I'm building, and so I, I just listen to my appetite, and, and it works pretty well, and I think it, I think for most people that are relatively healthy, now there are people that are so metabolically dysregulated and their appetite signals are so messed up from years and years of sort of abuse and, and you know this this sort of uh, hormonal you know disarray that they're in that their their appetite signals are kind of messed up and they may find that a scheduled eating thing might help them kind of get them out of that system but i think once you're you know in a natural human state you know you 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 you're uh appetite and your eating frequency and schedule should be pretty effortless you know and i look at it like you know for me you know i'm big and relatively lean but i'm not walking around at four percent body fat like a bodybuilder and i don't want i don't really want to be because it's really not a natural state to be and it's pretty uncomfortable yeah it's not healthy and so i mean you know for those guys that want to well i want to get shredded so that's fine you may have to do something unnatural you may have to you know do all these weird things with your diet to get you there but don't pretend that that's how humans normally exist because even if you look at these indigenous populations i mean they're lean they're not they're not obese by any way but they're not walking around with you know with with shredded yeah, everything they're very lean they're not they're not ripped up because that's not that's not i mean the athletes are doing things that they're probably not doing or that as you say the bodybuilders example they're not that that's that's what they're going for that's uh, that's like um, sculpting your body in that way that's not how we generally are if you look at any of the things and you're completely right so quickly sean you never so you had, you had this pure meat for two years. You never had a beer in two years. 
Um, no, I wouldn't say I, well, I have a beer. I, I just never enjoyed beer. Have, I'll have a glass of wine. I've got a girlfriend from France and she likes some wine. So once in a while, I still want to have a glass of wine. I'll have a glass of wine with me. You know, I'm not a I'm not a dogmatic purist. You know, if I want to have something, I'll have it. I generally just don't want to have it. You know, if somebody put a piece of cake in front of me and I wanted it, I would take a bite. I wouldn't have a problem with it. I know I might feel crappy afterwards, you know, and I don't usually do that. But I mean, you know, like I said, for me, I would say dairy would be the thing I kind of will occasionally uh, quote unquote cheat with. But I, I so honestly, ice cream or something. Well, not even I, I might eat not even maybe maybe a yogurt or something like that right, and okay. something like that. But but I will, um, you know, I, I honestly don't crave those things, and that's the one thing that people really have a hard time getting their mind around because. You know, we have we live in such a culture now where we have so many choices and we have and it's constantly put in front of our faces, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's heavily advertised. Those foods are designed to be extremely hyper palatable and flavorful. And we want to eat them all the time. You, But you, if you get if you go back a few even a few hundred years or certainly, you know, 20,000 years, you would think about how many flavors or varieties did humans have back then. Almost none. So we're we're really just you know you you would have eat, you would have eaten you know whatever animal killed you might have got some fruits and berries, uh, you know occasionally but I mean the variety in the human existence for the three million years that we've been on the planet if you believe in the evolutionary theory, it was very minimal and and now we have you know a hundred flavors of potato chips and seventy five different flavors of soda and so we feel like we've got to constantly get a new flavor in our mouth. And to me, you know, again, I'm in my 50s. I've tried all that stuff. I'm not really interested in it anymore. I'm just interested in good, healthy nutrition. And I, I honestly feel wonderful after, you know, I just had a nice ribeye steak for breakfast. I feel great after having it. I look, I totally look forward to having it. When I was preparing it, I was sitting there salivating, like, yeah, I can't wait to eat it. You know, I'm kind of like my dogs, you know, they get yeah. excited when they're out to eat. And for me, that's what nutrition should be about. Now, we, we sort of change nutrition into a form of entertainment. You know, whether it's an entertainment to entertain our, our taste buds or just we, we tie a lot of social, um, you know, social entertaining with that stuff. And I yeah. think those things are separated from nutrition. And, you know, if you want to socialize, you know, you can figure out how to do that without sticking a cupcake in your mouth, I think. And, you know, again, this is a thing that, that many people when they do this and when I tell them, you know, how do I get through these cravings? Cause I'm really I really want to eat that, you know, whatever that, that carbohydrate based food. Um I'm just like, just eat enough. If you eat enough nutrition, you know, because what your body really wants is nutrition. It doesn't want necessarily a cupcake, but it wants, you know, micronutrients. It wants protein. It wants fat. That's what those are the essential things that we have to have in our body. And so if you're giving yourself enough of that, all of a sudden those, those, those cravings are really quelled. I mean, they're really, they become minimal, you know, from a, from a physiologic standpoint, you know, before when you're eating a high carb based diet and you get really hungry, it doesn't matter what's in front of you. If there's a big tray of, tray of junk fruit in front of you. You're going to eat that because you're so hungry, right? Now, when you're not doing that, uh, you know you, you you fill up on meat, and then all of a sudden, if you're you're a little hungry and there's some junk in front of you, you're like, yeah, I'm okay. I can wait. I can wait an hour. Yeah, I can yeah. wait two hours. That's the key. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a big difference, I think. Yeah. So I'm, I was just saying that is the key. Yeah, because I always say to my clients around Christmas or something, I say if you're going to go out to a party. If you go and eat your food beforehand, you're going to be full, you're going to be satiated, you're not going to want to grab that food. Uh, and I always say, like, studies have shown organic produce, proper, proper organic produce, is 40% more satiating than conventional food anyway. So you actually need less. People say it's more expensive. We say, well, we actually need to buy less in your, in your, your food, because as you, as you just said there, your body wants nutrition. So once it's said, oh, I've had enough of that, that's fine, you stop eating, rather than keeping on eating. And as you said, these foods that have been made for the bliss factor, the right amount of sugar, the right amount of salt to keep you eating, keep you going, uh, they're not actually foods. I mean, you can't find them in nature. They're what franken foods. They're things that we as man have made. Uh, and they, uh, 
they have a big problem and then massively as you said it's, it's a lot to do with with socializing and you said you can socialize you just you just I mean once it comes to understanding your body and this you just don't have to eat it you know that once you start eating those things it's really hard to stop you know once you pop you can't stop sort of thing with pringles and it goes on but just quickly do you ne- so you never get bored of eating meat sure never get bored of it you're not like oh my god i have another steak mm. Well, I mean, I mean, I really enjoy it. I mean, I, I honestly don't get bored. Of, I don't I don't really again, I don't look to food to be a source of entertainment. I look for nutrition. It's like saying you get bored of breathing air. I mean, you know, I don't think about having flavored like air, that. you know, I like that. I like I, that. you know, it's like, do you get bored of breathing? Well, no, I have to do it. It's part of it's part of it. You know, I don't you know, again, I don't sit there and hand my dogs a menu and say, what would you guys like to eat today? You know, and again, you know, I, I, I just have to say humans are animals just like anything else. And, you know, it's it's, it's again, it's a really tough concept to understand in, in this context because people are so used to variety but once you sort of step away from that and really get well real well nourished you suddenly find that the thing that you want the most is meat in fact if if you know if i were to say you know eat a meal and it wouldn't there would be no steak or meat in there i'd be like i didn't even eat i mean it's like i gave myself zero nutrition when i go to the checkout line i watch these people load up on crackers and sodas and chips and they might have a, a few token uh uh, fruits and vegetables in there and then there's almost you know they might have one little skinny thing of chicken in there and i'm looking at it like they there's literally no nutrition in your cart and i'm just amazed and you look at them and they're either obese or they're frail yeah, or yeah. you know they you know it's just you know this is where i do that too yeah it's bad. yeah i mean it's you know you, you almost you almost like this when i just take them and shake them and say wait you know yeah, but it, what, it you what can't are you be eating? Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah it's it's fun it's a it's a, it's a you know and, and the you know the processed food companies and you know, obviously, the pharmaceutical companies sort of unfortunately benefit from the from the, 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 the chronic disease we have. I mean, those guys pump billions of dollars into into maintaining the status quo, and it's something that's. I mean, they're very convincing, and they've got you know giveaways and celebrities and uh, huge advertising campaigns and huge 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 uh, huge budgets to do that, and it works, and it works very well. You know, there's people out there that are excited to eat the next flavor of you know whatever potato chips is coming out they get excited about it you know and it's just uh <laughs> you know it's a tough battle i mean you know it's it's a, it's it's really hard i think uh as more and more people get into podcasts and, and get their information on social media and there's more people to do this you know there's some people that are stepping away from that fortunately but i think for the most part it's i'm not hopeful i mean i'm, I'm hopeful but i'm i'm very uh, guarded in that optimism because i think there's there it's just a there, there's a lot of money against it it's a minefield right i mean this is Mate, I don't know where to go with this. I've got so many ways I want to go because what you just said there. I mean, you, you stand there and uh, the funny thing is once you step away from it and you actually understand it and look at it, if you're in the system and you're seeing all these things flash up 24-7 food and you, the, the hardest, once you start eating that stuff, it's really hard to stop. If you just say that I'm not going to eat it and you wait till you eat at home, as you said, eat your proper food, it's a different world. Once you start eating that stuff and you crave it a lot of time by association or habit, uh, and then it goes, and as you said, these these companies have got a lot of money ploughed into this to make sure that you eat their food, and and um, oh man, I mean, you can go into this for fun. I was going to say, like with, with with what you're talking about there, you've got these these companies. I mean, there used to be a, used to be. Are you are you still a, are you a surgeon at the moment? I know you had to go through a few more tests. Have you got your your surgeon license back? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, it's about to ha- it's about to happen probably next month. You know, is it something I had? To, I would, I was ended up asked to do an independent evaluation because a hospital and I had a big political argument. Yes, I disagree. I disagreed with 
Uh, well, I wanted to do more lifestyle type stuff. And as a surgeon, right. they don't really pay you to do that. They, you make, I made a lot of money for these guys. I was on billboards and they had me on TV commercials. I was making tons of money for the hospital. And then when I stopped and said, wait a minute, I want to do lifestyle stuff. And I don't want to do so much surgery. They really didn't want me to do that. But I did it anyway. So we ended up having a big, long legal battle over it. I ended up you know, separating leave from the hospital. Uh, they they compl- filed a complaint with me. The state board got it and said, hey, look, you can uh, go get yourself independently evaluated or you can fight against the hospital again with us for, and it's going to take a couple of years to do it and cost you lots of money. So I said, well, let me just surrender my license, get evaluated independently, and I'll come back later. And so I got it independently evaluated and they, they said, there's nothing wrong with you. You're perfectly fine. So you can go back to practice. So I'll probably, uh, you know, get my license officially given back to me in the next month or two. And then depending on what I may practice part-time because I really want to continue with this prevention stuff and do what I want to do and see if I can set up a, you know, something outside of what I was doing because there's, it's just, you're very limited by what you're allowed to do, uh, particularly, you know, working in the system because there's, there's so many limitations on what you can do and there's a lot of hassle that goes with that and you have to fight a lot of battles. And so I think I can make as much or a bigger difference, you know, on the outside than I can on the inside, which is interesting. Yeah, no, 100%. I was waiting people to understand that because I know there's a few vegan people that have gone after you and saying, oh, this guy got struck off the surgeons, this, etc. They didn't really understand the story behind it, what happened, and, and how, because you were I mean, you were the head of the department, right? Yeah, I was the head of the guy. They loved me, man. I had, I had tons of happy <laughs> patients. I had all the staff love me, you know, and so they had, you know, it was kind of interesting. I was kind of very naive because they insidiously were building a case against me. You know, it took about six months and I didn't realize that. And I, you know, I should have gotten a lawyer involved right away, but I didn't. I just kind of thought, well, you know, there's nothing, I've got nothing but happy patients. I have very low complication rates. But they, what they do is they select out, they, they go and they select out, narrowly look out of thousands of surgeries and say, well, this one you had an error in. I'm like, well, yeah, everybody does. I mean, you do thousands of cases, there are going to be a few where people find, you know, fault. And so, but they did that and then they, they presented all this information to people that have no idea what orthopedic surgery is. It was a bunch to a bunch of pediatricians and dermatologists and said, well, these are the facts that we think you did wrong on and we're going to, we want you to, to get rid of them. And I was like, I wasn't even allowed to defend myself. I wasn't even allowed to look at this, look at the cases. I wasn't allowed to, you know, have any information on what they were utilizing. And when I finally got that information, I saw how many errors they made, uh, you know, responded with bunches of you know research papers and textbook articles. And then they were just like, well, we don't care anyway. We're, we're still going to, you know, we're going to continue our, our decision because if we say you're right, then you can sue us for millions of dollars. And so it was just a, a fiasco. And then I, I just got tired of fighting legal battles. I don't really like, you know, being involved with a bunch of legal battles. It's, it's just a stressful, painful process. And, uh, you know, the quickest way for me to resolve, resolve that was just say, okay, I don't want the hospital involved. Let me get evaluated independently. And that's what I did. Well, it's just, it's just so much stress you don't need. And it's, this is what people like, the people that are naive and they come out there and they write stuff. You're like, you haven't got a clue about the story. Sometimes it's just easy to walk away and even fight it. And they're like, if you were true, because it's costing you loads of money. And, and also, you know, this is the problem with the system. Once you're out of it, Sean, and you are, it's hard to go back in it because you realize no matter how good you do, one little thing happens and they start to throw the kitchen sink at you and it's all that work you've done, all that good is like for nothing uh, because they, it's ridiculous uh, what they what they did, having heard your story and understanding it, especially because what people don't realize is that this is why surgeons get paid more the more surgeries they do. So when someone like yourself comes out and starts saying, well, you know what? to your patients, you don't need this surgery, you need to change your diet and lifestyle, etc., and watch how these things fall away. They go, well, what are you doing? You're costing us money. 
because uh, surgery is, 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 a, is a highly uh, lucrative business and people don't realise this is that the medical industry is actually a medical business now that's not saying the doctors are evil or anything there's lots of good people in the industry doing a lot of good work but it is a business and when it comes down to it they've got bills to pay and that's the thing you know and if you're out there saying you know what well I did 5,000 surgeries this year but next year I think I can half that if I give people the right diet and lifestyle advice that's not going to bode well with them, especially when it comes down to them like taking their checks, right? Yeah, I mean, surgery, particularly what I was in, orthopedic surgery, is very lucrative for hospitals. It, it almost keeps, you know, there's two real specialties that are very procedure-heavy, you know, invent, uh, interventional cardiology and orthopedic surgery are probably the two biggest ones, and they make the most, <clears throat> most money for the hospitals. And, you know, it supports a lot of the other activities, pays the bills, you know, and so and so really, you know, when they hire you as a surgeon, they want you to do a lot of surgeries. I mean, there's there's a big push. And I was, you know, really part of the, the efficiency. I was I, I developed a program for hospital efficiency. I, you know, they love me because I was like, you know, doing a ton of surgeries. And I was I was the busiest guy in the whole hospital by, by far. I did more surgeries than anybody else. And then when I said, wait a minute, we're going to slow down on this stuff. Uh, you know, it just didn't bode well with the administration. And, you know, they first they were polite about it, says, no, we don't we don't really want you to do that. You know, there's not much support. And I kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. And finally, I just started saying, look, I'm just going to counsel people. And, and I started talking to people out of surgeries that I didn't, didn't think I thought that could be could possibly be treated with, with diet and lifestyle. And then that's when I get hit with this, you know, this behind the back peer review stuff. And, and, and you know, went from there. And so it's just it was kind of a wake up call for me that, that you know, well, I understand it was a business all along. It's just how much, how much of a business it really is, and and it's uh, it's unfortunate. And like you said, there are many, many. In fact, the vast majority of physicians are great, wonderful people that really, really want to make a difference. It's just that the system nowadays has really gotten to where, you know, it's it's about the money, and and you know, it's that's the bottom line. It's the bottom line at all. Yeah, that is, yeah, and it comes down to it. that's an unfortunate thing. So. So, so if only they can see you now, they probably are looking at you now, wondering what's he doing. Because for a little while you said you were getting by on your savings and stuff, but now you've got quite a lot going on um, with with helping people. You've got different websites, which I want to touch on in a minute. But just quickly, with 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 the meat you eat, sure. What sort of quality are you looking at? Like because. I mean, surely, I mean, I, I think I heard you talking, I went back and did some research, I heard, thought you heard you talking uh, to Joe Rogan, saying that you don't really, um, really worry too much about the quality, whereas I'm quite a stickler on that, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to dig into you for this, because, sure. because, 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 uh, because, especially in America, I mean, over here, it's, it's not great, but in America, um, I'm going to talk, because we look at things quite holistically, and you're saying like that, Grass-fed um, isn't actually. I mean, you take what you can get. Because I mean, you're eating quite a lot of food, and it can be quite expensive. I'm guessing if you start eating really, really high-quality food. But when you look at the grass-fed organic meat, um, I mean, your conventional meat in your CAFOs that are fed, um, they can legally be fed things that they can't legally feed you. For example, the cows are meant to be herbivores, right? So they're meant to chew the cud. They're meant to eat grass, but they can feed them rendered food. You go and look research into what rendered food is. If you don't want to be in that. Plastic pellets, sawdust, they fill them with antibiotics, hormones, vaccines, etc. So 
eating an uh, animal, and also they treat them. They can be treated terribly from some of these places. You know, they're they're not looked after. They don't. They're, they're in their own feces a lot of the time. They're not outside. Compared to a, a, a cow that's been treated really well, eating the grass or gra- at least grass finished, if not grass fed, um, the difference in quality there. I mean, I mean, they've done studies into like the life force of this meat. You know, the the light that it gives off. And you look at organic grass fed meat compared to all food compared to that. I mean, it is different. Especially if you eat a lot of that meat, have do you not notice, or I mean, why 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 is it you don't really go into the quality of the meat? Yeah, so and that's 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 a good good topic, and I think there's a lot of things that have to be uh, sort of uh, looked at with that stuff, and so. Just like anything else, you know, there are certain, you know, we call CAFOs, which are confined animal feeding operations. You know, this is how the, a lot of these animals are finished. Now, we have to realize, now I'm going I'm to leave a specific to beef because that's probably what I, I think chickens have have different issues and yeah, I think pigs issues, have different yeah. issues. But but cattle in general, all cattle, regardless of how they're finished, are going to spend about 80% of their life out in pasture. You know, so they spend most of their time out in the pasture. They're brought in for the last two to three months for, the, you know, where they fatten them up with with the addition of grains in their diet. And so, um, you know, and the way that is done is, you know, they they will start them out still on forage, you know, which is still the grasses and the haze, they stuff, and then they will gradually add in some grain in there because they can't tolerate too much. And in the end, they take about 10% of their total feed for their lifetime becomes grain. So it's still not as much as you'd think. Um, Again, not all of those confined animal feeding operations are the same. You can't you can't paint everybody broadly with one brush. You know, there's some that do good, there are some that are bad guys. You know, and so the ones that are bad guys are the ones that get the publicity. But there's just as many guys that are doing it right because you you know when I, and I've talked to a lot of these cattle ranchers and people that do this, and they have an invet they have a vested interest in keeping those animals healthy and stress free as much as they can because when those animals are stressed out and sick, you know a lot of times they can't be they can't be utilized and, and the, the farmers will lose you know money and, and they're there they're there to, to make a living and so it's not that they're in there kicking the animals and covering them in feces and stuff like that you know they're doing what they can to minimize that stuff and there's more and more technology and as the years have gone by they've gotten better and better with that stuff you know what they can eat you know certainly you know humans can eat sawdust i mean there's sawdust put in our processed food just to just to put that argument and there are plastic pellets that show up in, in different compounds in our food as well so again those are those ideally are not good for any animal species now does eating their meat specifically after they're dead, you know, does that impact human health? Does that impact my health? There's not really been any good studies that show that's the case. You know, and in fact, the majority, because I've seen thousands upon thousands of people that have done this diet, and I did a poll the other day, and I asked how many of you guys have gotten really good health results eating, you know, grass-finished beef versus regular beef. 80% of the people said they got great health results eating grain-finished beef. So, again, and again, there's not been a formal study, but that's just an informal survey. But when I look at it, there's only, I think, only been one formal study that's actually done, and they looked at some healthcare, health markers, biomarkers, and comparing grain-fed to grass-finished. And basically, the grain-finished one actually showed a little better outcome on health, health markers. Now, again, you know, we have all these suppositions, you know, we know that grass-finished beef has a little bit higher omega-3 to six ratio, you know, but again, the numbers are so tiny and small, you know, if you look at how much omega-3 and omega-6 is in beef, it's not very much, you know, they're both essential, we have to have omega-6 in our diet, the problem we run into is the omega-6 oils uh, coming from seed oils, like the vegetable oils are so ubiquitous in all this processed food, that those numbers get way, way, way elevated, and I had a nice guy, a podcast with a guy named Tucker Goodrich, who's very much talks about seed oils and, and saying that, you know, we got to cut out the processed food and the vegetables and that. It's not a problem with the beef. As far as the hormones go, 
you know, if you eat a grass finished cow from England, you know, some, some you know, some, some uh, UK beef, you're still eating hormones. You know, don't pretend you're not eating hormones because the animals endogenously make them. And so the question is, if I put an implant in that animal and add some more hormones to it, what difference does it make? Well, it makes a slight difference. You know, it makes it, you know, maybe, maybe increases that by about 20, 30%. And if you look at the overall amount, you know, you make estrogen every day. So do I, we all make estrogen as one of our hormones. So there's a calculation on how much beef would you have to eat to get the same amount of estrogen that you and I make every day. So you would have to eat 27 cows worth of beef every single day. That's a lot of meat, right? Mm -hmm. To get the same, the equivalent amount of hormone that you would endogenously make anyway. So Again, I don't think those things are truly a big issue. Now, you know, there are some people, and I've certainly seen some people that have told me, I just feel better on grass-fed beef, and that's fine. You know, grass-finished beef, and I think that's fine, too. The other thing is, you know, if, if I compare grain-finished meat, meat, you know, the cafo meat, to the Twinkies and the processed food, it's still far, far, far yeah. superior. Yeah. And, there's some, and, and there's people that can't afford this other stuff, and there's so many people that they can't afford – Twenty, thirty dollars a pound to pay for grass-finished beef, particularly if they're eating two, three pounds a day, like many of the people that do this. So it's got to be practical at the same time. Now, I will say, from an environmental impact, there's some arguments to be made for saying we need to better pasture those animals. And it doesn't even matter, even in the UK, where all the animals, I think most of them are pastured the whole time. You've got to pasture them correctly. You know, you've got to move them from from location to location to location, so that the you know, the, the, the carbon is returned to the soil rather than just having to mow down, spend two weeks in one place, you know, strip the land and then move them somewhere else. They have to be rotated correctly. So we, we can get better from an environmental standpoint. And I think we need to do that. And I think it's up to people that have a vested interest like myself that eat meat and want to continue to do so to push for those changes, because I think that's where the biggest things are going to come. But I do think that, uh, you know, if there is a difference between the two from a human health standpoint, I haven't seen it yet. It may me it may remain to be proven. It may be guys like us, the carnivore guys, that will test each other and say, Hey, I'm gonna eat nothing but grass finished beef for six months and see how I do, and I'm gonna eat nothing but grain for six months and see how I do and see if there's truly a difference. Because that's a good question and we need to we need to find the answer to. I just don't know what it is yet. Yeah, I think I, I know I know what I'd be. I'd like it I'd like it to say that only grass is the best for and then for that, but and yeah, I have to go with what I can observe and what what actually is happening. And so, you know, there's a lot of theory behind this stuff. Cool. I just, I just think, I think like, um, I mean, what I've seen in certain cases when I've done, gone around, uh, for example, I just feel like when an animal animal's doing what it's meant to be doing, and it's loved and it's out there doing it. I mean, it's just going to be. Of course, you get hormones in animals, and and we produce them, etc. But it's like sort of things you do every day. I get what you're saying about the levels, a hundred percent. And the grass, the grass finished and grass fed. I mean, it's very hard, even in our in our country, to to, to feed a cattle uh, grass all year round. It's just almost almost impossible. Um, can you hear me, Sean? Are you still there? Yeah, I can hear. Yeah, cool. Can you hear the me? screen? Yeah, the screen's just gone a little bit there. Um, the screen's just gone a little bit there. Um, there was actually something that you said I wanted to jump on, but I can't. Uh, I can't remember. You, you said quite a lot, which I, I understand um, where you're coming from. I, I do, especially because it, it does get expensive. Um, but yeah, eating meat of, of any kind is going to be far superior to eating processed, refined foods that are devoid of any nutrition, any enzymes whatsoever. Um, but when you, when you look at um, it's just a lot of the time you said the chickens and the cows and when you look at some of these I mean America's 
think the laws are a bit worse than what we've got over here is in terms of what they can do. And a lot of these companies, they know that there's five food companies that control 90% of the, of the, of the world's food supply. And some of the things that they've, they've turned farming into an industrial complex rather than, than to farming. And this is the problem. And I think a lot of that meat ends up probably in fast food chains that you're probably not buying. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess. If you go to the butchers, it's gonna probably be produced by people that do actually care. And you say it makes sense for a butcher to look after his animals because you know that's his livelihood, right? Um, it's not gonna, not gonna do it. But some of the, some of the things you see, on, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the, even these documentaries, like even like back in the day when Farmageddon was out and they were showing uh, the, uh, the, the chicken pens and, and what the, what the, in eighty percent, in in like. Their feces. They're saying that we got to do is feed a cow grass for a week, and eighty percent of the E. coli goes. Instead of that, they're they're spraying this beef with ammonia you know, to try and get rid of it. And so you just got to be careful with that. We're going to that, but I do understand what you're saying in terms of like you're cutting out a lot of this stuff anyway. And if you're feeling good in it, that's the thing I was going to say. You said your digestion's fine. Your digestion's absolutely fine. You you go to the toilet once a day. You have no problems because I, I to be honest with you, I do have a lot of people that eat far too much meat. Once we start to add fiber in and take certain things out, their gut their gut clears up. I mean, probably because they've been so inflamed from doing a lot of things wrong that their guts are struggling. But for someone who's been eating this way for two for two years now, you have no issues at all. No, I don't. And I think you know one of the problems we have with you know looking at how foods impact our digestive tract. You know, I think there are a lot of the problems with uh, uh, digestion has to do have to center around gastrointestinal motility. And I think some of the things that impact the nervous system. You know, we see people that develop diabetes and other things where they're you know they develop things like gastroparesis they have decreased gastrointestinal mobility mobility they have peripheral neuropathy and i think those things all share a common uh you know process and so when you're you know when you're developing all these problems you know the, the nerves that, that are impacted in your body you know there's plenty of nerves that go to your gut digestive tract and when those nerves are injured the, the, the gastrointestinal motility goes down there are some things that cause mucosal inflammation on the inside of the guts as well. So you have a combination of those things that are going on. And again, I think if you're eating these industrial seed oils, lots of high fructose corn syrup and all that stuff, it wreaks havoc on, you know, both the gastrointestinal mucosa, but also the, um, you know, the nervous system. And I think those things combine to cause all these gastrointestinal issues. And it may take a while for those things to get better. You know, I've seen, just like I've seen people improve peripheral neuropathy, you know, where they can feel their feet again, you go on an all-meat diet. We also see things like irritable bowel syndrome uh, going away. And there's some, you know, I think I think fiber is very controversial. I think it's context-dependent. I think depending on what your baseline diet is, fiber can be a positive. But I think for many people, fiber can be just as much of a negative. And for many people, it, it has been. And in, in, in reducing the fiber uh, has been, been quite helpful for them as well. Yeah, I mean, I see people take cinnamon husk sometimes, and I cringe. I'm like, that's, I mean, it can really hurt someone's bowel. Um, a lot of that fiber, but yeah, I, I, that's what I wanted to say to you before when you talked about seed oils. Yes, there's a lot of, I mean, rapeseed things like that, canola oil. It's just, well, in my experience and the research I've done, it's just poison. And people are eating this in abundance, and they're cooking their foods in it, and it's just, uh, I mean. You want to be ill? Keep eating that stuff. Keep frying your foods in that stuff. Keep cooking with that stuff. I mean, I take that out straight away. Those sort of oils—they're terrible. Um, and as you see, the funny thing you talk about there about digestion as well is, as we look at it, you know, I mean, most foods that people have intolerances to—I mean, they're not meats. They're not chickens and beefs and porks. You know, they're they're plants because I mean, if we go back into it, you know, we go back into it and we talk about 
we take a step back, we look at it and say, well, how does an animal protect itself if you wanted to kill it? It has teeth, it has claws, it can run away from you. Plants don't have that. Plants have built in, in into them in, um, different chemicals, different molecules that when you eat them, if you wanted to eat them, for example, you can't digest them. And if you don't want to eat them again, it's a defense mechanism for saying, look, you don't want to eat me because I'm going to give you problems. Whereas an animal... They've got their teeth, etc., and they can they can fight you if you want. So you know that's their defense mechanism. So once you kill it, and as you say, a lot of people I deal with, their gut is so inflamed anyway that you give them anything and they're having problems. So you have to really go back to basics and strip it away, um, and, and deal with it that way. But yeah, food intolerances generally, you're looking at plants or you're looking at um, you're looking at different food groups, but not. Generally, people don't have. I mean, egg whites they do. Yeah, one of the most energetic foods on the planet. You've got things like coffee. Dairy, yeah, one of most, but very rarely somebody eats chicken and, and, and has problems, you know, or beef. Um, and when you get down to it, it's, it's how you feel. And, 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 and I know people say it's like it's antidotal and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, everyone's a study of one. I don't care what it's at, and no study's going to tell you better than you how your body feels and how, you, and how, you, and how you're living and it's, it's a big thing having talked talk to Phil and having been in that, that group I think it's 100% carnivore I think it's like that everyone in that group is feeling better is looking better and maybe it, 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 maybe after five years they might stop and they might have to do whatever and as you said I've heard you say you're not you're not um, militant with this you're not um, adver- adverse to, to change if you need to you're someone who's going to um, go by how you feel, right? And you're gonna to have to look into things and 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 see, and see how you, you say that you're a work in progress, right? No, absolutely. I think we all should be. I think you know. Here's a, here's the thing. I would disagree with you a little bit about meat. Uh, some people have issues digesting it initially, and I think some of that has to do with a lot of people develop. Uh, difficulty in secreting hydrochloric acid. You know, there's a lot of people that have had medical issues, and, yeah. and so their their hydrochloric acid uh, production goes down. And they have difficulty, you know, tolerating that. Same thing with too much fat. They have problems producing lipase and, 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 you know, bile and stuff like that. So those things become induced secondary to, you know, eating the wrong way for years and years and years. And so some people initially will find that they really have a hard time digesting and tolerating, you know, meat and meat in particular. But I don't think it's an inherent thing for human beings. I think it's just something that can be acquired. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I find that. Uh, you know, and I've seen, again, thousands of people have done this. You know, not all of them stay strict meat, meat only, you know, like I've been mostly. Um, you know, they, they will find that it works for them really well. It may heal and help to heal an inflamed, irritated gut. And, and, and they may find that they can suddenly, now they can tolerate a few more things. And I think that's perfectly appropriate and perfectly fine. And if, if, if it were me and I would, you know, say, hey, maybe I want to try, you know, some raspberries here and there. You know, and, and I do fine with that. That's fine by me, too. I, I don't have any objective to doing that. You just have to be objective and say, how does it really affect you? And not to say, well, I really want to eat this cheesecake. And now that I hope I can do this, you yeah. know, but I mean, I think I think you have to, uh, you know, just be objective about it. And, and, you know, you can improve. And there's no if anything or if nothing else, a meat only diet is probably the best elimination diet on the planet because it's well tolerated. It's nutritionally complete. You know, certainly in my view, it is. And, you know you can really narrow down what's giving you problems. You know, when you're trying to do an elimination diet and you still have, you know, you just eliminate one item out of a, out of a diet that has 100 things in it, you're like, well, what about those other 99 things? Which one's giving me the problem? When you go to just, you know, like a meat-only diet, then you're pretty quickly able to determine, okay, now I know if I eat oxalates in almonds or spinach or whatever, those things give me problems. Those things make my knees hurt. 
then you can eliminate that from your diet and you can figure that out pretty easy. Whereas, you know, you might say, well, I can tolerate a little bit of fruit and it doesn't bother me. But if you have all these things in the mix all the time, it becomes difficult. So I think, you know, giving, you know, if you're interested in doing a, you know, an all meat diet, you know, give it, give it 90 days or so. That's, I think that's a sufficient time for most people to, to really get an idea. And then, 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 you know, play around, try to add something back in, see how you do. If your body doesn't like it, you know, you're probably not meant to eat it. If it does, then, then, then have fun. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And that's just, just to go back, I, I do agree with you about that meat and hydrochloric acid completely. Like, most, I mean, it is, it's one of the things that takes longer to digest. That's, that's why you probably say full for well, it is why you say full for longer. I completely, I completely get that. In fact, a lot of the time as well, I, I mean, I don't know if you go into it much. If you're just eating meat, then you won't have to. But food combining, lots of times people are combining the foods in such a way that your digestion just can't break it down. It's just like, and they wonder why they're getting gas, bloating, wind, um, different issues. And as you say, if your hydrochloric acid isn't isn't right, you're going to get issues there. So I do completely agree with what you're saying there. I mean, just just to record, I know you you've got a go in a minute. Sure, you're busy. You've got a few more interviews to do. How are you saying something? Um, uh, when uh, there's research and you're talking about how, I mean, how I read meat consumption has actually gone down a lot compared to what it used to be uh, and you're looking at um, one place Hong, uh, Hong Kong you said they've got the highest uh, red meat consumption and they actually have got great longevity is this right? Yeah I mean yeah that's true that uh, <clears throat> at least from the US standpoint our, our meat consumption from about 1975 till now has dropped about 30, 30% so significant drop in our quantity of red meat consumption we've made it for, up for that by eating more chicken which I think is an inferior product but as our red meat consumption has gone down, you know, obviously we've seen an increase in obesity and diabetes and other chronic diseases. So it's hard to, at least from that standpoint, say, well, red meat's a problem because we're eating less of it, but we're getting more of these problems. But yeah, it's also true that Hong Kong certainly enjoys one of the highest life expectancies in the world, if not the, depending on which set of statistics you leave, but they live a long time and they clearly eat lots and lots of meat, you know, whether it's pork or red meat. I saw one statistical breakdown where they ate, I think the the third highest amount of meat on the world, only behind uh, Argentina and Uruguay, which were the two biggest consumers yeah. in the world. And then it was then it was Hong Kong, and then I think it was like the United States and in Australia. But they, they eat significantly more than we do in the United States, and they live longer than anybody else on the planet, just about. And so it's again, again, you have to look at things outside of just diet as as predictors of longevity. Yeah, awesome, mate. And uh, just quickly, no supplements. You don't take any supplements. No vitamin C. No scurvy. Uh, yeah, no scurvy. I didn't. I, you know, I didn't. I didn't develop any scurvy. No one. No one really has. You know, it's just kind of. A, it goes back to you guys in the UK, the limeys. You know that that. You know, once they started doing a long sea voyage, is eating eating. They, well, it was the difference between dried meat and fresh meat. And if you eat meat that's in a supermarket that hasn't been dried out for a long period of time, you're going to be fine with regards to scurvy. But uh, I don't take any supplements except for salt. I mean, I put, if you want to call salt a supplement, I put salt on my food sometimes, and that's it. But I don't take vitamins. I don't take hormones. I don't take you know anything just just basically some meat and i train hard and that's and that works well awesome mate and uh there's some people out there you mentioned a couple a couple of websites where's where's best for people to find you apart from apart from instagram or if they want to try this any groups you can recommend etc for them yeah so we've got a, a pretty large facebook group it's a little over ten thousand people we started it in january we've already grown over ten thousand it's called the uh, world carnivore tribe and so we've got all kinds of people that are you know new to carnivory and a lot of a lot of long-term carnivores in there helping people kind of transition over and kind of going through the common benefits and some of the issues that people are having we've got uh, i just started a group yesterday in fact it's called the restoration health 
vegan recovery group, and we have a lot of ex-vegans that are that have joined up now, and they're you know they're they're meeting with each other and trying to help each other kind of transition away from veganism because you know sometimes a lot of people that are vegan and then they go away they get attacked you know they get attacked pretty hard by the people that are still vegans and they really give them a hard time so we wanted a nice sort of safe uh, sort of nurturing uh, supportive place for these people to go and we've already like I said one day I've got nearly 100 people signed up for for that group uh, meatheals.com which is a wonderful group to read about all these stories uh, that we uh, that we have done. Uh, I've got Twitter. It's S Baker MD on Twitter. I'm fairly active on Twitter. And then, um, oh, there, yeah, my other website, it's Sean, you know, S-H-A-W-N dash Baker, B-A-K-E-R.com. And that's where I do, I've just written out, you know, I started writing a little bit of scientific, you know, you know, references of scientific study and kind of developing some topics that people are interested in. And then I've got, uh, there's some people that want to consult with me one-on-one, so I've, I've kind of do that in a limited capacity, and I do a little bit a couple times a week. I'll just, you know, people chat with me for an hour to kind of help with diet and lifestyle and health and exercise. You know, I've, I've got an experience of, you know, years of being a physician and being a top-level athlete and, and you know, years of studying nutrition, and so it's kind of a, you know, place for people to come, and we just kind of sort things out for them. So that's that's another deal that's going on. Oh, awesome, mate. And just because I may be, I wanted to touch this, we haven't got the time. It's just the... Uh, if you go on Sean's Instagram and you see some of the, the, the vegans that are attacking him, I say these people are. Um, we talked about this with, with, a lot with Paul Check. You familiar with Paul Check? Uh, yeah, I know. I know of Paul Check. I've seen a little bit. I, I don't. I can't say I followed or read a bunch of his work, but I know you know basically some of the stuff he does. Just yeah, talks about it being very tribal and people like wanting to to really hold on to something because obviously in today's world we're all sort of this. This people beliefs and stuff of. People don't know who to follow, so it's saying they really hold on to it. And some of the things I've actually seen people write to is quite vital. Um, talking about like, some people said, "My if my if my daughter ate meat, I'd have her killed." Isn't that right? Something like that. They wrote something, some vile stuff on there. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of. I think you know what I think. There there there. That's obviously a person who has some mental health issues, you know. But it's just to point out that there are people that are you know, they take things too far. And, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't really care what people eat, whatever makes you feel healthy. If it's, if it's vegan and do great, I'm fine, fine with that. I just think you should be aware of the potential pitfalls. Mm -hmm. But if you want to eat all meat, that's fine. If you want to eat all meat and a few vegetables and fruits, that's fine with me too. I don't really care. Uh, Like I said, the ultimate thing is let's find out what works for you the best. And for some people, eating a meat heavy diet works extremely well. And I think we should, we should explore that and continue to allow those people because there are people literally out there that are like, you know, my life has changed dramatically. I'm out of pain for the first time in a decade. I can walk again. Haven't some of these people been doing it for 20, 30, 40, 30 years? Yeah. 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 I mean, there are people that have been doing it for decades and, and doing great. And, you know, again, it's, it's still, it's, you know, this is what we have, you know, in Western stuff. But I mean, you could argue there are there are people that have done it for yeah. thousands of generations. If we look at, you know, the polar polar people and some of the the African populations, and so it's clearly something you can do for years without getting deficiencies and and do fine. And you know, the question is, well, how long are you going to live? Well, if you look at those populations, you know, they're they're mostly. You know, they criticize the Inuit, you know, in one, because they didn't live as long as their neighbor Canadians. They lived 10 years shorter. I said, well, they have double the smoking rate. 
They live in a one-room shack clustered in there, so they have much higher incidence of infectious diseases. They're, ab- they're in abject poverty. And so all those things decrease your life expectancy. It doesn't matter. You, know, you can look at the population of India, which has the most vegetarians in the world, and their life expectancy is the exact same. So you're like, well, why aren't they living forever if they're all veg- you know, mostly vegetarian? So it's, 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 you know, again, there's, there's more that goes into to longevity than just what your diet is. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much, Sean. I look to uh, I look forward to to mm-hmm. keeping following you and seeing what you get up to in the future. And um, yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to get you back on the show in, in the future. But thank you very much for coming on, mate. And uh, have a great day and enjoy the rest of your shows you do. All right, Ryan. Appreciate my pleasure. Okay, take care. So, guys, here's that little bonus clip that I promised you. It's got some gems in it. So just stay tuned, and I'll see you at the end of this. Less plaque, and so that. To so, me is sorry, pretty, you had, he had he had carotid artery disease. He had carotid artery disease with with you know plaque in there, you know yeah. clogged up, and when he went on an all meat diet, that started to go away, and gotten better. So that that those and again that's one anecdote, but we're going to get more and more of these things. It's going to really, it's really going to make uh, some people really think. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'll probably, probably make some vegans' heads explode, perhaps. But, oh, uh, if, yeah. if it works as well, if it works for you, there's um, I think there's a great book, Fat and Cholesterol. Um, uh, fat and cholesterol are good for you. There's loads of them at the top, and they talked about atherosclerosis and things, and about how it's never been. I mean, he Ansel Keys just he just cherry picked the studies that he wanted. I think seven studies out of the 21 that showed what he wanted, and it's like, oh, that works. It's like, well, that's basically what they've been doing for. Hey, yeah. We talk about with Paul Check, and we talk about with a lot of people. You know, scientists these days, most of them, it's like modern day prostitutes. You can plan to get whatever results you want, or it's just like because. As you, people talk about this, all studies after 1950 it's like they're all bought and paid for you look at them and you see a study come out saying oh um, fat's bad for you it's like who's done that and it's like the people that p- promote um, canola oil or something like that it's like well and people don't even look into that they just see the, the, the popcorn headline I like to call it it's a big popcorn headline and you see it all the time and it's just like when you're going to stop reading that and actually do the research underneath it and people come out with it you're like oh you need to dig deeper and understand why is it all the people that I talk to um, the healthiest people in the world no matter what they're doing they're all eating coconut oil and having lots of saturated fat and they're all phenomenal they look good they feel good and all the ones that are not and they're all eating margarine and they're all having canola oil etc they all feel terrible and they all look terrible and they've got skin eruptions yeah I mean it's Certainly. I mean, the uh, the pharmaceutical stuff, unfortunately, you know, it was kind of interesting because up until even a few years, I mean, they may have still been able to get away with this, but, you know, they, they didn't have to publish everything they produced. You know, they would get a study and they would, if it didn't show the results they wanted, they just threw it in the trash can and they only published what they wanted you to see. And so it's, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems with what we call the evidence. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's why these N equals one Test it on yourself, or probably for most people, the best way to go. And yeah. I think it's. Uh, oh, it's the, the American Heart Association, the, the head of it. He, he had yeah, a heart yeah, attack. He had a heart, yeah, he had a heart attack last year, yeah, a little while ago. Yeah, you know, pretty, and pretty, as much as I, you don't want to be like a smug bastard, you're sitting there going, mate, it's, it's like karma's a, karma's a bitch. Uh, and, and, it's, and they showed that they're, they're funded by those. Um, but for like a, mi- a billion dollars a year, I think it was. I, I did. It, I did a video on it. I had to go back and look at the research. It, but I think it was a lot. It was a lot of money. Um, a lot of money a year they were putting into it. Yeah, there's unfortunately there's a lot of conflict. You know, I looked at the lobbying dollars in the U.S. and the pharmaceutical industry by far exceeded everyone else by orders of you know five times as much as defense con- defense lobbyists. Yeah, it was like it was like pharmaceutical number one, like yeah. two hundred eighty million dollars, and it was 
the, the health insurance industry, number two, with like $100 million, and everybody else was well below that, like $50 million, $40 million. So they, they spend the most money out of anybody just to keep uh, keep that drug you know drug piggy bank going. So. so, guys, that was just a little clip that we were having a little, a little discussion between ourselves at the end. And uh, just, I just wanted to get, get a few little points out there as well about atherosclerosis and blocked arteries and about the American Heart Foundation, um, American Heart Association, I should say. Um, so yeah, that was Dr. Sean Baker. I mean, I'm sure you got a lot out of that, as you do with all of inter- all of our interviews. But this is probably a new, a new phenomenon to some of you, the, the carnivore diet, the all meat diet. To be honest with you, it's very similar to uh, parasite protocols, fungal protocols, when you're starving these pathogens of their of their food. But you know, some people are going depending on your genetics, depending on where you are, your how your body is reacting um where your health is this is going to work for people not everyone but it's going to work for people and the amount of uh, people he's got in the facebook groups he's mentioned uh on his websites www.meathills.com on the carnivore diet i mean you know these people aren't lying they've got some huge results so it's a very interesting part and no i like to do across the board what works for most people so 99, 95% of my client base we do things a certain way but for the people that we mean we need to go into a little different directions and maybe we go vegan or we go carnivore these are different options that you've always got but as I say you need to um, go through the process and find out really what works for you and you need to do that for having a, a structure and these are the things why I always say to people you need to work with a professional who has got a structure in place um, I mean you, you can do it yourself great but a lot of the time I find a lot of people messaging me uh, they, they've been throwing mud at the wall and hoping some of it sticks they don't know what's, what's what they get a bad reaction they don't know if it's they should stop or they should carry on They're going through a healing crisis and it's really important why you should whether it be us or whether it be someone else to, to, to work with a health professional when you're trying to heal yourself from these things because also first of all it gives you accountability and support and second of all the people we talk to and ourselves we've been doing this for a long period of time we've worked with people with all different chronic illnesses and it's something that we have plans and processes in place and although we have that we always say there's no standard process because there's no standard human being and so if you need to navigate certain issues or you hit some turbulence that's completely normal and we know how to deal with that and that's something that um, a lot of people don't know how to do themselves so anyway guys that was Dr. Sean Baker um, I'm going to get him back on the show at a later date because I want to see some of the progress he's made and, and what's been going on in, in his life because it's a really interesting story um, yeah and next week guys we've got the second part of an interview with, with Erin and Jess from Your Sacred Witness where I uh, am actually interviewing them and it is actually as I say a humdinger it's a really good interview we go deep into lots of different topics and we get them to to share lots of different um well basically their journey and it's a really really strong episode so looking forward to that guys okay so otherwise as always stay happy guys stay healthy if you need anything from us i'm at www.reviveyourself.co or hit me up with an email at ryan at reviveyourself.co if you're dealing with any chronic health issues and you would like some help otherwise guys as i said before stay happy stay healthy and i'll speak to you soon bye-bye If you're struggling with gut issues, such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of The Healing Health Paradigm today.